1: Welcome back to 755 is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer with The Athletic, and I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves' magnifico reliever. What's up, Eric?
2: Not much, Dave. How you doing?
1: I'm doing all right, man. Well, we're coming down to September. We got a month left, and this series is as close as we anticipated it would be a few months ago. Maybe closer. I know some people have doubts about whether the Braves would be able to catch the Mets. They haven't caught them, but they're one game behind and my only uh my only reluctance in saying they're going to catch them is the Mets series or the Mets uh, schedule is so soft in the next few weeks whereas the Braves have got some tough opponents if they had an equal schedule the rest of the way i would definitely take the Braves right now
2: yeah i mean it's it, honestly one game might as well be none two games might right. as well be none exactly yeah, especially
1: since they play three head to head at the end yeah
2: there's no comfort in their position at this point. So I think the Braves have done a great job of of fighting and putting that pressure on them and and giving a chance for that pressure and a collapse to be there. You know, I mean, the Mets have earned their position where they're at this year. They've they've played great baseball, but getting to that point where you can now put that pressure on them and they have to look in the rearview mirror and think, We can't blow this thing, you know, and if if they adapt the wrong mindset, they could easily fall apart. And so the Braves have done their job of of putting that pressure on the Mets up to this
1: point. And they also have to wonder, because Scherzer right now is out, and and you got to wonder, they got to wonder if, if we do win the thing, is Scherzer and DeGrom both going to be healthy? Because they're always just a pitch away from, especially Scherzer at his age. Is a pitch away from the side hurting, from anything hurting. You just There's no way for them to know, to feel really confident that he's going to be there. And you could say, yeah, he's Max Scherzer. When it's nut-cutting time, he's going to be in there. But what happened last postseason? You well, know that's
2: because break. that's you know how he built that reputation was being in there at nut-cutting right. time for so long when he shouldn't have been. And then eventually...
1: Catches up with you.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can't do that forever. And but so I it. think that it's a combo now of him saying... I can't, he's, he's feeling the, he's feeling the pain of doing that for those years that he did it where he pushed through and pitched and, you know, probably just took a tour all shot or whatever he had to do to go out right. there. And now all the shit's catching up with him and he's got to make decisions now. Cause he's realizing I can't just, you know, nobody, it's, it's not about mental toughness at this point. My body's going to break.
1: Ham, Kershaw, Verlander, you marvel at all of them, what they did yep. most of the season. And then here we are and, Father Time never loses, man. They're all in their late 30s. And all of them right now yeah. Kersh- are in Kershaw's back, but he just was out for the second or third time this year. Verlander's out for the second time. It's nothing serious. But again, he feel they they feel like you said, they're not young. They can't just power through it. They know mm-hmm. if they don't shut it down, it's going to be shut down for the for the rest of the season. So yeah. Verlander, I mean, he didn't even look hurt the other day when he walked off. He had the calf strain. He wasn't even limping, but he felt it and he knew it was there. And if he kept pitching, it's not like when he's twenty-five or thirty. You know, when you're almost when you're closer to forty than thirty-five. Yeah, <laughs> that stuff's really relevant. You got to be smart about it, and they know so. You know, Charlie Morton has been really lucky in that regard because this, this dude keeps himself. He's coming back from a broken leg, and he really has kept himself healthy all year. And, and and his mechanics are so smooth. You can see why.
2: Yeah. And I, for me, I think with Charlie, it's just uh, he's just lined up to be healthy. You know, yeah. he did, he really hasn't had a lot of health. I mean, he got hit with a line yeah. drive. What are you going to do about that? But right. there's other guys, you know, maybe Scherzer would have been out of the game at 31, 32, the way how violent his delivery was. And he's worked his ass off to get to the point he's at. But the work can only take you so far. Yeah. And then you start realizing, hey, I did everything right and I still got this sides pulling or this is this is tweaked and haven't been through a few injuries at that point. If I push this, I might miss the playoffs. So there's always stuff like that that these guys are playing. But, uh, you know, it's it takes so much hard work to get to the point where Scherzer, Kershaw, um, even DeGrom, what he's kind of battled back through. But all these guys that we're talking about, it takes so much hard work to get to the point of – even have an opportunity to push through these things and maybe get try not to get injured
1: yeah the uh the Mets like I said they got the they got the easiest schedule from here out and it's really not even close percentage wise they're games against uh losing teams um if you look at the power rankings this week, the the uh, the Athletics power rankings the NL East has three of the top 11 teams in the in the rankings they got the Bra- uh, Mets at 3, Braves at 4, Phillies at 11. And Where I the saw it ML- and MLB.com had had the Mets at 3 or the Braves at 3 and the Mets at 4. So it's really close obviously. One game separating them and the Braves are healthy and playing really well right now. What would you say?
2: Why are the Phillies in that?
1: Well they were playing really well. They lost they had a, they stumbled a little bit, but uh I mean at eleven I think they're pretty deserving of that. They've played really well and they just got Harper back, so
2: Yeah, that's true. I forgot he was back.
1: You know, they got the they got the two starters, they got a, you know. Improved.
2: Yeah, they're gonna be in the wild card.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're gonna make, they're gonna be in the wild card. Um they got them, uh let's see, in the power rankings, we got well, the Braves, the Braves have got this road trip starting tonight in Oakland. You're talking about eight games. And, you know, the West Coast was always rough for the Braves. But the last yeah. couple of years, or last year, they kind of changed that narrative a little bit. They struggled out there this year at the start of the season against the Dodgers, obviously. But uh, last year, they had a good road trip. And this time, only one of the teams they're facing is good. And and it's the Mariners. So it's just kind of reversed of what it's been in the past. But... They got two against the A's, who are 29th in in the power rankings on ahead of only the Nationals. Two against the A's, three at Seattle. And you know very well how good Seattle is right now. And they got a superstar rookie of the year. You, you're talking about uh the AL and NL Rookies of the Year in this in this series. Yeah. Whether that's gonna be uh whether it's gonna be Rodriguez for Seattle, but whether that's gonna be uh Harris or Strider for the Braves, I think it'll be Harris. I don't think it'll be really close. But Strider, if he keeps having more games like he had the other day, he might make it closer.
2: Yeah, I think that's what it's going to take is a few more just ridiculous outings and some – you know, if he has – how many starts he got left? Four, five? Yeah. Yeah. So, if he has has two or three ridiculous starts and two or three that are decent, those ridiculous ones could just get him kind of the attention – he deserves, but uh, for me, it's just the everyday players got to get it.
1: And str- and uh, Harris, after going through a little bit of a lull for a couple of weeks, is hot again, yeah. man. And he just had a three-hit game with two ribbies again with the late. And I think people are going to notice his performance in late and close situations. It's is a joke. Re- it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's, it's,
2: you're waiting for it to end, and he just keeps doing yeah, it.
1: Yeah, just keeps doing it. So he's hitting three oh nine with, a, what, an 890 OPS. I mean, we're 90 game. He's at 90 games in now. That's insane, man. This kid, you know, you're talking about with 16 stolen bases. He finally got caught for the first time Sunday. Uh, 15 home runs. I mean, he's doing this from the number nine spot mainly. He's moved up in the order some now. But uh, he's just doing everything while playing gold glove defense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's he is, he is very deserving of the rookie of the year, obviously. And the only guy I could even see giving him any competition is would be Strider. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good series in Seattle. Um, after the two games in Oakland, Seattle's got a hell of a rotation that people on the East Coast really don't know much about.
2: I don't know anything about it either because I'm blacked out.
1: We'll have like Robbie Ray for one, but they got a good, yeah, they got, they, they got a good rotation, man.
2: He and started off, Robbie Ray started off slow, but he's turned it on the last couple months.
1: Yeah. They got a good team. Um, but they got, and even though they got two against the A's, so everybody's just thinking, okay, they'll sweep those and then they should win two out of three against Seattle at least, and then maybe they can win two out of three or sweep the Giants. It usually isn't that easy if, if you look on no. paper and it says that. But um even though they're facing the A's and the A's are terrible, the A's have got Cole Irvin going tonight. He's got a three, three, five ERA, seven and eleven, but that's because of shoddy run support, yeah. crappy defense, probably. But he's got a three three five ERA. So that's that's a good matchup tonight with him and Kyle Wright. Well, it's just, probably,
2: I bet it's going to be the smallest crowd they play in front of all year.
1: Oh, the Braves? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it will be, especially on a on a what? A Tuesday night Tuesday out there? Tuesday night. And it had a heat wave out there. For them, it's a heat wave. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be the first time the Braves have played probably. They've had a couple small ones in uh, Miami that were yeah. under 15, but that'll be the only one comparable. Something about
2: that stadium, though, it's just like – it's loud and it's weird noise in there. You know, it's, there's always, they have that Clevelander bar making noise out in left field Oakland. All you hear is the drum.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's annoying, annoying, annoying uh, noise at Miami with that roof shut. The music is really loud and it just bounces off that echoing when it's not many people there. Yeah. It's a, it's a very unique environment there. Yeah. Uh, But the Braves have played really well since they opened that dome. Um, The Mariners are up to eight in our power rankings. They were 11 last week. They're hot, man.
2: Yeah, they've been playing really well. And the city's going to jump behind them, too, because they've been waiting since 2001 was the last time they made the playoffs. And if they wind up, if they could snatch home field for the wild card, that stadium's going to explode.
1: Great environment, yeah.
2: It'll be awesome.
1: And it's funny because uh, the uh, A's are 29th. In the power rankings this week, they're ahead of only the Nationals. Did you see what the Nationals just did? We talked about it in baseball: any team on any given day can beat any other team. The Nationals just won two from the Mets Saturday and Sunday, and then beat the Cardinals on Monday. They outscored those three teams, playoff teams, obviously division leaders, twenty to two in those three games. The Nationals. <laughs> I mean, back to back seven one wins against the New York against the Mets in New York. And then a six-zero shutout against the Cardinals.
2: That's why it's so stupid. We had a wild card game, a single game set.
1: Exactly, ridiculous.
2: Because teams like that could you could have you could have had a, a one-game wild card game where you spin a, a roulette wheel with all the teams' names on it. And yep. You just let a random team in. Yeah. Against a team that won ninety games, and they might get through. It hey, has I, to be a three-game set at least.
1: The Nats out-hit the Mets in those two games, twenty-five to ten. I mean, oh, who wow. saw that coming? So, um, by the way, I was just looking at—I was looking at Gwinnett's game notes today, pregame notes. Triple A Gwinnett, che- dude, check out how ba- how good their rotation has become. All of a sudden, the next five games, they've got Kyle Muller, Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka, Bryce Elder, and Darius Vines. Is a really up and coming prospect, really good arm. That's their five. The next five games. Dang. That's pretty strong. How's
2: Soroka's last couple starts gone? That's a better rotation than a
1: few major league teams. How's
2: Soroka? (laughs) Well, how's Anderson been looking down Uh,
1: there? Not good. Ian gave up 19 hits in two games. Some of them were soft contact. Wasn't a lot of runs. And the second one was nine nine hits, but only like two runs. But a lot of hits.
2: That's hard to do.
1: Which, you know, some of those maybe in the big leagues aren't hits, you know? But uh, with the better defense and the shifts and all that. But. Yeah, that's a 19 lot. Nineteen hits. hits. That's a lot of, of hits. hits. Ten hits and nine hits, in a total of like uh, eleven innings. Nineteen hits. Soroka bounced back from that third start, second at Gwinnett, with a really good one in four before the rain. He was really cruising through four innings. Had some strike. Had five strikeouts. Had a really good start going. So that was really encouraging.
2: And they didn't send him back out after the rain.
1: No, they they ended up suspending the game. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he didn't go they didn't finish the game. So so that counts as one of his starts that probably sets back the timetable a little bit if there is a timetable, you know, because they want to build him slowly and he obviously didn't get he was supposed to go to uh uh 90 pitches in that one but didn't get anywhere near that obviously because uh, he would have gone 6 7 innings at least if uh if he kept going. So so we'll see uh his next one is uh like I said not today. Today's Tuesday. His next one would be Thursday. So,
2: I wonder if they if they think about using well he can not can he what are the rules for him to be on the playoff roster Is it just forty man Do you have to be on the active?
1: No, he's eligible. He's eligible. It's anybody on the forty or the sixty day IL.
2: Oh, okay. I yeah, wonder so if they think about using him
1: in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, if he really came on strong in his next few yeah. starts, but the problem is their their starters are throwing really well. Yeah. Especially Odorizzi had the two really good starts before he got scratched the other day, which was arm fatigue, you know, kind of like uh, uh, Kyle had when he when they were able to pass him up, which they can do right now because they've got guys like Elder came up and pitched really well against Miami again. Yeah, really good time to give Odorizzi some rest because Elder against that Miami lineup, I mean, literally, he's facing as good a hitters in some of these AAA games as he's facing with the Marlins right now, or really close. That yeah. is a terrible lineup right now with the Marlins. They got good <laughs> pitching, really good pitching. So they're in all yeah. these one-run games because their pitching is damn good. Yeah. But they're hitting right now. Their lineup is is as bad as it gets, man. Their lineup is far worse than the Nationals. I
2: just wonder what, like a, what a Marlins fan feels like, <laughs> you know, like,
1: Well, you know their guys hurt their main guy. I mean, they've had you know injuries, and so, but uh, and they traded away a couple of guys at the deadline. So the one guys they had, but uh, yeah, what they're left with, you know, Brian Anderson is you know then a bunch of just uh, borderline major leaguers. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. I swear, I thought
1: if the rain had not come, I thought Freed, this might have been the day free could have thrown a no-hitter. He really? got through. He got through four, uh, or five rather, in 60, 62 pitches. I'd have to look at it again. But, dude, he was just cruising. I mean, it was not even any close. It was just soft contact, had a bunch of strikeouts, they had a walk final in the fifth inning. He had a perfecto going until then, and I really oh, think yeah. he could have thrown a no hitter in about 110. hundred and ten. had
2: sixty six pitches through
1: five. It was absolutely man against boys. It was. Uh, I really think he he would have thrown a no hitter. Um, which as somebody pointed out on my uh, um in my story in the comments section, somebody made a good point. As much as you'd like to see a guy throw a no hitter. It might end up being best for them because you know Snit, if he's up to around 85, 90 pitches after 80, he's sending them back out there. When you're that, you know, when you're we you got a no-hitter going. Yeah. He could have easily thrown 110 to 15 pitches and got a no-hitter. And that would have been like if he'd have thrown 115 pitches or whatever. That's the kind of thing that could, you know, with 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 as careful as they are with pitch counts these days. I mean, back in the day, that's nothing, 115. But right now, when they're pulling them out every time at 95, 100 pitches, 105, all of a sudden you go 115, 120 pitches, that might have lingered for him as we get into September, late in the season in September.
2: Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think almost every manager starts getting to that sixth and seventh inning, and their guy's got a no-hitter going, and he gives up like a bloop single with two outs. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's a sense of relief.
1: Relief. It's, relief.
2: You know, maybe not if it's just a crusty vet that when he's, you know, he's like, maybe
1: he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. But yeah. they are guys. No, I mean,
2: that, a pitcher, if it's a pitcher, you don't oh, care about oh, too, yeah, you yeah. know, and you're not in it. And,
1: oh yeah. Like Charlie Morton, so, They're going to let Charlie go.
2: Yeah. Or Bartolo. Say he mate's come back. He's got a no hitter in the eighth. They'll let Bartolo right. throw 250 pitches. But right. if it's like freed or somebody you need your ace and you're going to the playoffs, yeah. I'm sure there's a sense of relief when something falls in in the 6th or 7th and they don't have to make that tough call.
1: Yeah, because it's a tough call if it's in that borderline area. I mean, if, he, if he's if he got like 95 pitches going to the ninth inning, he's going to let him go out there.
2: You have to.
1: You know, Snit's going to do that. Now, if it's yeah. at 100, maybe. In the 7th. <laughs> If it's at a hundred going in the ninth, then he's like, okay, we'll go batter to batter and we'll let him, we'll see if he can get three quick outs, you know, but if it's like 95, whatever, it's not even a, it's not even close. He's going to let him go out. And then, and then, you know, if the first couple of batters, all of a sudden you're up around 110, you got to leave him in. You're not going to take him out. So he could go 120 pitches. And they can
2: walk two guys.
1: Right. And for a guy that's th- been throwing hundred ninety-five to one hundred and five pitches, to all of a sudden go one hundred and twenty—that's the kind of thing that could linger at this point in the season, especially where you can't really afford to rest him for a day, you know. Right. So, yeah, it's good and bad. But that—that could have been that could have been the and, and the no hitter just doesn't mean as much anymore either. That's right? what I was going to you know, say. Let's face it, it does. I mean, but an individual with no hitter, an individual no hitter, there aren't a whole lot of those anymore, it's just because nobody's getting allowed to go long enough.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you don't see. I think Kershaw got yanked this year without giving up any hits. Yep, he did. But for the most part, you don't really see pitchers get yanked out of the game. Well, you do because you'll see a guy at 90 pitches through six. Right. And no hits. <laughs> and the manager will just be like, there's no way we can leave you right. in for this. Right, there's but no way. We, yeah. We saw yeah. Ubaldo Jimenez do it. Ubaldo, I think, threw 140 against us, that no-hitter he threw against the yeah. Braves. Yeah. It didn't even feel impressive. We didn't even yeah. know there was a no-hitter going until like the eighth inning. Then we looked up and somebody's like, Man, this guy's got a no hitter because yeah. it didn't feel impressive because he was grinding so hard to to get through the outing. Is a walker? It's a weird time, every man.
1: In that regard, I mean, dude, I think back to the no hitter that uh, the AJ Burnett no hitter that I covered in San Diego. Nine walks and a hit batter. Nine walks. Oh my! Oh yeah, look it up. Gee, you're,
2: you're like this guy threw like
1: shit. We're in the sixth or seventh inning. It's a West Coast game, obviously. We're sitting there. I'm I'm sitting there eating popcorn, literally, because it's like there's no way I'm going to file this game story. I'm going to miss deadline for, and we had much later deadlines then than they do now. But but you know, it's a, it's a West Coast game, and you're not going to get it in. And but like sixth seventh inning, I call the desk. I go, um, I don't think he's going to throw it because he's walking a ton of guys. But Eric, but but just so you know. AJ Burnett's got a no hitter going. They're like, "Okay, thanks for letting us know. We'll hold it. We'll hold it for now until until he gives up something." And then all of a sudden, he started clicking outs really fast. And I'm going, "Oh shit!" And I'm going, "Locked in." Yeah, so I started hammering a story out, going, "This dude might do it." But because he walked a ton of guys early, if you look at it, he had like he had like two base runners on every inning in the first five or six innings, and he just kept getting out of it. And then the last two or three innings were like that. Quick, it was the strangest yeah. thing you've ever seen. And the amazing thing is when you hear nine-walk no-hitter, you think, how many pitches did he throw, 145? He didn't. It was like 125 or 30 pitches with nine walks.
2: So he was walking guys like 3-0, yeah. ball 4 ball four. And then four. getting
1: quick contact on the other ones, you know. Getting
2: some du- must have got some double plays.
1: Yeah, like I mean, I'd have to go back plays. and look at it on the number of, a number of – pitches but it was under 130 i'm almost certain i think it was like 125
2: yeah see and i think that's where i i you can't tell me there's a drastic difference between 100 and 110 you know you can't tell oh, me there's a drastic difference between 90 and 100 but yeah. once you start adding in 30 pitch chunks you know and now you're talking there's you're from like 130 to 145 edwin jackson would had to be somewhere in the 140 range in the one he threw in tampa and then you're talking that big of a gap. I can definitely say that if you get to that point, there's going to be a there's going to be some hangover effect on your arm, or like the one Johan threw. Right, and he was Which, never really the same. It was
1: never the same again. Um yeah. this was this was May twelfth, two thousand one. It was the third Marlins no hitter. I covered them all. I had Al Leiter had one against Colorado. Kevin Brown had the most dominant no hitter. I've covered six or seven of them, including a combined Kevin Brown's at San Francisco at Candlestick Park was more dominant than the perfect game I saw Randy Johnson throw against the Braves. Kevin Brown's no-hitter at candlestick was the most dominant pitching performance I've ever seen, dude. All he did was hit a guy. That was it. Otherwise, it was perfect. And that was the year Kevin Brown had like impeccable control, but he led the NL and hit batters. He was yeah. nasty, man. Kevin Brown did not think twice about getting. So did he, the guy so off did the he plate. just smoke
2: somebody early, not really knowing what kind of outing he was about to have?
1: I think that one was was might have been a guy didn't try to get out of the way because yeah. he knew. No, it wasn't early. It was like sixth inning or something. Might have been one of those where he didn't really try to get out of the way. I have to remember. I have to look back. But that was it. It was a candlestick. The wind was blowing. It was chilly, and he was just uh, he had you know his his sinker every hitter that year you'd ask him after the game an opposing hitter and i don't know how many times it was described just like trying to hit a bowling ball his single yeah. was the nastiest pitch god what a year he had but yeah it was, it was that was the most dominant one i saw so i've had the extremes from Randy Johnson's perfect game to AJ Burnett's nine walk no-hitter but I'm, I'm looking it up right now 129 pitches and he struck out 7 and walked 9 and hit a batter <laughs>
2: god, how long was the game
1: that's insane man <laughs> It was a 3-0 win. It was a 3-0 shutout.
2: Yeah, walked nine to...
1: and only gave up three runs.
2: How do you do that? Wait, he he gave up three no I
1: mean, no, no, he threw a shutout.
2: Okay, gotcha. They
1: up there. he threw a shutout. He walked nine and gave up no runs. How do you even no do runs, that?
2: Yeah. Double plays. <laughs> there had to be double plays. Sometimes the boss scores oh, yeah. that, but
1: yeah, I'm just looking at the uh at the uh, game story from it. Let's see if there's a box score in it. But that was a memorable one because uh John Henry owned the team at the time, right? And he used to come to all the games. John Henry was a big fan. He'd come to the games. He loved it. And his wife was at that series. He had his yacht docked in San Diego. That was the one place where he could take his yacht to the games in San Diego because he had a massive yacht and he couldn't even dock it in most places, right? Yeah. And he had a crew on it all the time that had to keep its the sides clean. That was all, I had all this wood on it. It was a massive yacht. And uh, San Diego had a big enough marina that he could dock it there. So it was there during the series. He let us go. Out. He, he asked the writers out one day to come out to lunch on his yacht. It was pretty cool because <laughs> he'd had the team on the night before. And we're like, we didn't get invited. So he invited us the next day. <laughs> so anyway, his wife was like, okay. So you guys a bone. His wife was like, You're gonna, would you please take me out one night while we're here? So, as much as he ate him, missing the game, he said, Okay, honey, we're gonna go out on this night. We're gonna He so we went out to dinner with her that night, was not at that game. He went to all the games, he was not at that one. And they're eating at some nice restaurant. And uh, he's like, This was before you got alerts on your phone and all that, but he's keeping up with the game somehow. I don't know what it, what it was, but uh, there's a no hitter like in seventh inning, and he's his wife knows there's a no hitter, and he's like, He goes, Finally asked, "Can I go?" And she's like, "Yes, go." And he had his driver. It was at San Diego's Qualcomm Stadium, the old stadium, Jack Murphy Qualcomm. His driver flying out there to get him there, and he gets there in like the ninth inning. There's like one or two outs left. There was that. Remember the massive parking lot around that stadium? I never went to that one. Oh, it's a massive parking lot around the stadium. Well, after like like, whatever Dodger Stadium. Yeah. And like what okay. after all those, more, like all those multi purpose stadiums that weren't downtown. And after a certain point in the game, they put up that you could not get in, you could only get out. So his driver, his limo gets there and, it, and he's like, I'm John Henry. I own the team. And, and they're saying, I'm sorry, sir. You can't go any further than this. He had to get out of the limo and he's like jogging up to the stadium. It's like John Henry, no Yeah. He's like this little skinny guy. You know, and he jogs up to the stadium, he gets there right after the last out he does not see any of the game <laughs> <laughs> so he's all flustered afterwards and all that but anyway it was a memorable night but anyway getting back to where we were on uh, on allowing guys to go it's kind of it's i don't know how many we're going to see more individual nine hitters that's just like you what you said older guys that they let go yeah you know, he would let charlie go 120 125 i'm sure if charlie said i'm okay you know but uh i watched you-
2: Scherzer throw one that was just like that was probably when you talk about the most dominant pitching performances I've ever seen. Yeah, it was maybe Linscombe in the playoffs against us in 2010. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was or Scherzer in 2015. It was, I think, it was the last game of the season. He threw a no hitter and it was almost a perfect game. And he just, you knew after the second inning, we might not get a hit today. Just the way yeah. he was walking around the mound. And I think we threw our B squad because we clinched already.
1: Right, right. So it was
2: just a matchup where it's like these guys don't have a
1: shot the models have not been no hit this year. Have they, I, they, I, they will be, I think before it's over, it might be a combined one, but I think they will be. That team is so bad. That lineup is so bad right now. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So this is a big road trip for the Braves, obviously, because they need to take advantage of Oakland and the giants right now are one, one time where they're really bad right now. The giants are pretty bad. they're always, better in that part and against the Braves they'll be jacked up. But they just don't have much right now. And they're and they're uh this is the time where the Braves could go in there expecting to win the series, yep. you know. And that's rare whether they go in there. It's been a while. But uh the you know realistically they should win, you know, if they they should be happy winning two out of three against Seattle if they can do that. But they should, you know win two games at Oakland if you win two out of three at San Francisco. I mean, you'd be thrilled with a six and two trip, or you should be. But they should five and four, still a good trip.
2: Yeah, just a winning road trip on the West Coast. Anytime you do it, I mean, I know it's it's not
1: eight games, so we have yeah five and three. I mean,
2: five and three would be amazing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's what they probably should aim for. But Seattle's tough; they're tough.
2: Yeah, and San Francisco and Oakland are just difficult parks to play in in their own way. Yeah, Uh, it's it's colder weather; you're not used to it. Uh, it's yeah. shitty bullpens. So yeah. I think uh, even in San Francisco, the thing that always tripped me out was you had the right field foul line running right through the lane of where you were throwing, and it just it messes with your angles. And then you got all these fans sitting here, and fans can talk to you like me and you were talking right now. Yeah. And you're trying to warm up. So you get yeah. young relievers going in there. They don't know how to really either yeah. talk shit back to the fans or just like completely week, zone it out.
1: Like but it guy, used to be a Wrigley.
2: Yep. And guys get rattled in those stadiums and open is the same way and they'll ride you hard. And it's same thing. It's cold. It's, it's just, you don't feel good
1: pitching there. Um, Hopefully. Oh, well, right now they're having a heat wave. So that, that'll help. Yeah. That'll that help. It'll They'll feel a lot more like home. Yeah. Olsen should be able to help some guys, you know, Yeah, and he certainly will be able to handle that foul territory because he played there a long time and made a lot yep. of catches in there. So they got that going for him. I'm interested to see what he'll do there. I mean, he loves hitting there obviously, but, uh,
2: they Actually, yeah. they're on one of the roughest bullpen warm-up trips possible because Safeco's the exact same way.
1: Yeah. Safeco used to parks?
2: have a net. Safeco used to have a net between you, and now that's wide open. I mean, the fans could reach out and –
1: Like it Wrigley used to be.
2: They could matumbo your throw, mid-throw, when you're warming up in the pen. They could actually reach out and slap the ball out of your hands, It's and it's right crazy, there. man. Yeah.
1: Did they just build it like that because the footprint? They had the space available when they built Seattle's ballpark?
2: Yeah, it's just – it's part of the layout. I mean, it's it's really cool. They have the beer garden to the left of the home bullpen. Yeah, I like that And then that it's ballpark. all their, like, bar – I think they wanted to keep all of the degenerates kind of down-tucked in this one area, you know, where, where everybody's going to kind of go try to party and be loud. Yeah. And if you're going to try to do that, you know, why not have them do all their <laughs> shit talking to the bullpen? I think it's – I don't know why every team doesn't make it as uncomfortable as possible to be in the visiting bullpen. Yeah, yeah. You know –
1: um, so we did a round table today. It's some pretty good stuff. If you guys haven't seen it, we had all the, the NL East writers talk about the season they're having. It's some, uh, one player to look at the rest of the year to keep an eye on for people on opposing teams, fans that really maybe not know this guy and, uh, um, and a prediction on where your team would finish and all this. And I put in there. I put for where I think the team will finish. I put second with a caveat. I reluctantly did it. I didn't want to be a homer and say first. I said the Mets, but I also said, and we wrote this before Scherzer had his latest injury. I said they're one injury away from that changing. Because if DeGrom or Scherzer gets hurt, that changes the calculus to me. Those guys need to both be healthy for them to be. And they got and and also. Like I said, if the schedules were equal, I would wouldn't even hesitate to pick the Braves, even with with a healthy Degrom and Scherzer. I think the Braves are playing better right now, but the Mets' schedule is so much softer. So, um, but Scherzer, with Scherzer, depending on how long this this thing is, how bad this thing is, um, you know, it's different. So, I I think all bets are off. I'm not going to be at all surprised if the Braves win this division they're one game back now and they're playing really well and the starting pitching especially with Odorizzi, I think the arm fatigue that's not a big deal I think it's uh th- you know they took advantage of being able to bring up Elder to face the Marlins again Elder handled him just like he did the last time Odorizzi's had back to back really good starts uh yeah. so th- but but the first four I mean we can't you can't overstate how impressive how impressive Spencer Strider's been. I mean, no. he right now is just no.
2: I mean, he's made your your bullpen idea just kind of yeah. I'm not even talking non option. You know what yeah. I mean? It's and it's not that you had a bad idea at the time. It's just no nobody. You don't know if the guy's gonna come and do this after and strike right. out 16, and it's like we can't we can't afford to not have this guy. Maybe he might be our number one. You know, it's, it's gonna like, be freed, but he's
1: now it's like, do you start him? Where do you start him? Two or three? Yeah. You know what I mean? In the playoffs. Yeah. Now it's gone from do you put him in the, you know, in the bullpen, let him be a multi in guy? Well, I don't think that anymore because he's had those two starts since we had that idea. But um I mean, right now, I'd have him two behind uh behind yeah. Max, and I'd have Kyle Wright three. I would too. And I mean, as ridiculous as it seems, I mean, depending on what happens between now and then, if Wright keeps it going, maybe if he starts to show some fatigue or whatever, which he hasn't so far, then I wouldn't hesitate to put Charlie three. But uh, – and then if you had to skip Charlie for that first round, you could do that. And, man, how how big a luxury would it be if you went three games in that first series, if you don't win the, the thing and you have to play the, the wild card series, to have Charlie Morton starting game one for you in the division series, if you go three games in the division. Well, I mean, if anybody series? can handle that, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And if you go two – done it. If you go two – if you win the thing in two, if you have to play a wild card series, you could have Kyle Wright and Charlie Morton as your first in your first two games in the division series, and and the, and Max Freed. I mean, you're up you, really well with four. Then starters. you get
2: Strider game four, <laughs> you know, against there whoever they're throwing for.
1: Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Or right, bring them back on. on I'm not I have to look at how how the thing works out, but uh, you might be able to bring Freed and Strider back for for. Uh, but two and three, three and yeah. four. Yeah. So that it just changes everything when you have those four starters, especially with them eliminating that travel day in, in the second series and the world series. So that second travel day. Um but uh for the guy the guy that picked to click or the guy to watch, I put Strider obviously, because I, I think most people know are well well aware of him now after he struck out 16. But for fans uh, you know in other cities that have not seen this guy. You know, especially you go out to Seattle or Oakland, and they're going to see him for the first time. And I think they're going to be blown away like everybody else is the first time they see him at how good he is and how dominant. He's a different this is a different animal, man. I mean, the Braves have had three Hall of Famers go through here. At one time, they had three Hall of Famers on the staff. None of them was quite like this guy, though. I mean, it's a totally. I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Smoltz or Maddox or Glavitt, 300-game winners, Hall of Fame. No, was a guy that, no. I'm just saying none it's of the them stuff. was the strikeout machine that this guy is, the strikeout dominance that this guy – none of those guys was that kind of pitcher. Smoltz was the closest.
2: Name a starter that was. Exactly. You know, I mean, DeGrom. DeGrom, yeah, DeGrom. could strike out 16.
1: DeGrom is, yeah, and there's been a few others that – you know, to do with the White Sox right now, cease. But uh, yeah, he could strike him out. But uh like you said, I think uh, BMac told you it's like Kimbrell for eight innings. That's a pretty good description of it. <laughs> what yeah. he was the other day, you know. I mean, that's yeah. what he was the other day when you strike out two guys every. You average two strikeouts an inning. No, that's, what you're, it's, it's that's what you're talking. That's what you're talking about. Starting
2: pitcher does, and he doesn't do it by nibbling. You know, I mean, that's why he struck that. That was the point I was trying to make about his last start is that you didn't see swings you don't see from him. You, he gets the same swings every time he pitches. There's and never he, a time where it's like, oh, I might not have it today. Either just walks a few guys or gets into deeper counts and misses. But if he's in the zone, he's going to strike out 12.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't overexert. That's the amazing no. thing.
2: No, I mean, it's, it's the same. His start last time was – very predictable if you were to predict him to throw a ton of strikes. <laughs> it's like his yeah. stuff is just so overwhelming that he's just got to get it in the zone. And, you know, to give him credit, he can throw high strikes with that pitch with his oh, fastball. Yeah. And they I just
1: mean, can't catch up to it.
2: I was talking to a buddy. I went and stayed at a buddy's house, Mark Lowe, that played a long time in the big leagues, relief yep. pitcher. Um And we were talking about how when, you know, when we were coming up, you were taught to throw strikes to the bottom of the zone and never once when the catcher told you to throw a high fastball, did you one time practice throwing it for a strike yeah. in your, in your bullpen, you know, it toward the end of your bullpen, you let the catcher call a few, they would call a high strike and they put the glove up above by the batter's chest. Yeah. It was, com- it was, it was no, it, there was no competitiveness to it. It was strictly a chase pitch. You're putting it up there. If the hitter wants to swing, they swing. If they don't, you're just using it to set something else up. And the last five years, you've seen – he he said he went – he threw a bullpen. He went to Tampa. Mm -hmm. And they said, look, if you hit this spot with your fastball, when you throw it here, the hitters swing and miss. But he only threw it there on accident. It was a miss pitch for him. Like he'd fly open and push it and it'd wind up in that up and away spot. But he wasn't trying to do it. Hitters would swing and miss and they said, let's go throw a bullpen – and we're just going to set up there for the whole bullpen and you practice hitting that spot. He threw 30 pitches and hit it once. Because it's it's a pitch that when you're throwing your bullpen when we were coming up if the hitting coach or the pitching coach was watching and you threw that they're like get it down. Yeah. That's what you're going to hear. You never tried to hit the glove in either upper quadrant of the strike zone. And Strider does it all the time. And now he can do it and at the it, zone he can just dot up there. He can put yeah. it on both sides. He can put it middle. And the, the beauty of it is when he does miss down, it's like it still has so much life on it that he gets away with it. Yeah. But yeah. he's able to play off that fastball at the top of the zone that he can throw for a strike. It's the same thing with like a breaking ball. When a guy has a nasty breaking ball and they can't throw up for a strike, yeah. the hitters eliminate it. As soon as you can spot a high fastball at 99 and they have to swing when they see it up, Yeah. you yeah. can do anything you want.
1: And then he'll he'll hit the bottom of the zone with it and he'll hit the top of the zone with it. Yep. I mean, you get some ugly swings. He is like the enemy of the launch angle swing, man. This yep. guy. That launch angle swing does not work against this dude. No, it doesn't. <laughs> he's come along, he's had a perfect time the way he pitches. He's come along at a perfect time, too.
2: Yep. And that's you know, that's kind of what the whole launch angle thing was: was just hitters saying. All these pitchers are throwing these cutters, these sinkers. How do we stay inside these pitches and lift them yeah. over these shifts? And then now that you got the four seamers coming back, the curveballs coming back, and guys are throwing to that top angle of the zone, it's really hard to stay inside a pitch at the top of the zone. You pop it up, you foul it off, but you can't really do damage up there. And if they can throw first strikes, so you have to swing. So sometimes pitchers like him come along at the right time in the game. Yeah. You know, if he was pitching against the 2006 angels and they were just ready to just pepper balls to left. Field. Right.
1: Right. They yeah. might
2: piss him off and give him fits, but most teams now they got deep swings. They're trying to catch the ball deep. They're trying to lift it. And you can't do that on a hundred with the life. It has. So it's just, it's a great time for him to be yep. coming into this league.
1: I mean, he could do some rare things right now because the game's not, it takes a while for the game to change. If it's going to change, it's going to take a while.
2: Oh, he's and- got a minute.
1: And guys aren't going to change their swings and everything for one pitcher because there's nobody nope. else like him.
2: <laughs> no, just, hey, it's a tough day today.
1: Yeah, we got to face we'll this guy, guy tomorrow. I'm yeah. going to strike out three times today, but when we come back tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's going to do some crazy things, I think, with strikeout numbers. Yep. It's And if he was going more innings, the, the thing is, the reason he won't get like any records, like bulk records, he might get rates, but records is because he's not going to throw 200 innings, 250 innings, like guys did back in the day, you know. I mean, Smoltzik threw 230 innings and had 250 strikeouts, you know. Yeah. But this guy might throw 160 innings and have 250 strikeouts, you know. Yeah, it would
2: be hilarious if somebody tried to tell him to pitch the contact. <laughs> I mean, with his fastball,
0: yeah, and the just, only
2: thing he could do is just purposely throw slower. And it's yeah. it's a lot harder to, to th- throw strikes when you're at like an 80% effort than it is you know, 90, 95% yeah. effort, closer to that top, the 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 thing you practice the most. But it'd be funny if somebody was, like, you know, criticizing him. You got to pitch to contact, and he went out there and just threw the ball right down the middle every every pitch and still got pop-ups and struck guys out.
1: And imagine when you could put a 1-2 with him in free, because I think yeah. you can do that in postseason. The, d- the difference in this left-hander mm-hmm. with this big old-school curve, who can also yeah. hump it up in the mid- and upper 90s, but coming facing him one night and then facing Strider the next day, yeah. oh my God.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it, it hurts your confidence. It, it gets hitters thinking and tinkering and changing their swings when you face guys is tough. Yeah, especially if, if that's that's why you're right that hitters aren't going to change their swings for one one pitcher. Because you face Strider and you do all this stuff to get on top of the ball, get on top of the ball, get on top of the ball, and you face Freed the next day and he's got this late sink and late cut to his ball. Yeah. And you're just chopping it into the ground or swinging a miss or chasing pitches down.
1: Yeah. Strider's like facing a knuckleballer. It's <laughs> like, it's not going to be good.
2: That, that's how I'd look at it if I was my team. and be like, oh, boys, just go battle today.
1: Freed's getting all this soft contact, man, during games. And Strider's yeah. like getting no contact. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, Mets, by the way, their their uh, their schedule, the winning percentage of their teams, the rest of the way, according to Tankathon, I don't even know what the hell Tankathon is, but it sounds interesting, is four twenty two, and the next closest Cardinals four forty eight, four twenty two the rest of the year their their uh, their opponents. Um, I, I did you. Did you happen to see the uh, quotes, the story I did on Freed the other day, the quotes from Charlie about Freed? Man, I thought they were – I thought – No. This was another – we talked about Charlie, what a a guy is in the clubhouse and how much he's meant to the Braves the last couple of years. But, man, I started talking to him before the game Sunday morning. I was talking to him, and as he's talking, I'm going, oh, shit, these are great quotes. This guy is – he's just such a thoughtful guy and cares so much. But he was talking about Freed – I was talking about how impressed he's been with Freed the last couple of years and what he's seen from him. And he said, you know, I didn't get really good to see him pitch in 2020 when I went here, and that was a weird year anyway. And Freed goes, you know, seven and oh with a two two five ERA, a short season and all that, sixty game seasons. Yeah. But um he was talking about him since then what he's seen and talking because he talks to the max all the time. He's gotten to know him really well and about what max has been through in his career, you know, and going through TJ surgery, missed two years. Basically a lot of people question him, you know, he was the former top prospect first round or high first round and all this stuff. So he said, uh, you know, and then he got off to the slow start last year and he had a couple yeah. of nagging injuries and all that. And it was July in Philly before he really took off and the last game of the season, uh, last game of July at New York is when he really started taking off and, and, but Max, or, or Charlie was talking about him, and he said, I remember sitting there in Philly in July and him basically looking at me like, you know, he was searching for answers. And he said, yeah. we had a lot of conversations last year just kind of about what he was going doing with his delivery, his pitch mix, his arsenal, what he was really trying to do. And he said, that went on for a good while, into July. And then I think he made a couple of adjustments, and he started to see, like, how the hitters were not quite on him. And then it started to build up, and from that point on, I don't think we talked pitching the rest of the year. This is Charlie talking. He said, because for that two month period, I think he was the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Max went from seven and seven and 17 starts through July last year. He was seven and zero with a one, four, six ERA and 11 starts in August and September. And then he had the, and then Charlie was talking about he got to make a bunch of starts in the postseason. He made the six. The one was great in Milwaukee. He had the one in LA where he actually pitched pretty well and got just a a lot of lot of uh, weak hits and all that. Yeah. And then he pitched well in the first one again in the World Series. Didn't get the results, but then he pitches that clincher in Game Six. And Charlie thought that's a kind of start that in your career can really be one that you you know you always go back to and all that. Oh yeah. Um. And he's he's just built on that last year. And this year, he's been like this the whole season. And, you know, he goes from – he goes on days when he doesn't have everything clicking on all cylinders, he can still pitch and keep you in a game now and get by. And that's what I told him. I said, that's what the good ones – our Snicker was talking. He said, that's what the good ones do. The Hall of Famers that we had here didn't always feel great, but they could always get by even on a day when they didn't have their good stuff. And that's what Charlie – that's what uh, Max does now. But, uh, Charlie was talking about him and said, uh, he said how proud he's been of him because he knows what he's been through personally and the, the, the questions that he, him questioning himself and all that and dealing with this mental stuff that he had to deal with and what he's become now. He's talking about how proud he's been of, of, Max. And, uh, and he said, you know, he's talking about what we talked about. He's going to be 30, 31 years old when he goes to free agency. So he's really going to yeah. have one chance to really get a good a nice contract, whether that's a free agent with another team or re-signing with the Braves. And um, and and Charlie was just saying how I'm gonna be a big fan of his after I leave, you know, and after I retire, I'm gonna be a big fan of his because what I know he's gone through and what he's become. And I just hope, you know, he said he's in position to really do what he, whatever he wants with his career the next six, seven, eight years, you know, that would put him up in this mid, late thirties. And he thinks Max will be that kind of pitcher that can do that. But uh, to hear Charlie talk about him, he—you he, can see he cares about him like he's a little brother, you know. Yeah. And he's talked to him so much, you know, personal, all the stuff he's been through and all that. And people don't realize how close these guys get, especially pitchers who, like, on days when they're not pitching, they're both sitting beside yep. each other and talking a whole game. Are you bullpen guys talking a whole game out in the bullpen?
2: I mean, you get to you get to spend more time with your teammates than your family. Yeah, you know, because when you're in town, yeah, you go home, you get home at 11 o'clock at night and say hi to your wife, kids are asleep, you go sleep, you wake up the next morning, maybe take the kids to school or do whatever you're doing. You know, for me, we didn't, I didn't do that. But the guys that are living locally, but still, you're going to the field at noon. And then you're spending from 1230 until about 1030 at night with these guys. And these are your most alert, awake you know, hours that you're actually able to bond with people. When you're home, you're doing all your chores and getting all your crap done for the day. There's not a lot of time to really spend. And then you go on the road. And on the road, you're spending zero time with your family. So it's it's, when people say, like, this becomes a family, it really is. You know, you're spending more time with these people than your own spouse.
1: Yeah. Charlie Charlie was talking about how um, last year was such a big deal for him Cause you're dealing, he said, you're dealing with stuff that determines the trajectory of your career. Yeah. Where he is, where he is in his career. Last year was so important. How you're discussed, how he's entered the arbitration system, the money that he's making, all that's being discussed. You know, teams are deciding, is this a guy we keep going with and all this? So he said that was such a huge year for him last year and to do what he did in the postseason. He said, now we're talking about how he's got two more years where he's under team control. And we're talking about a guy entering free agency at 31. And so to see him do what he did last year was huge. I'm not going to say it was a 180 because there were games early in the year where he was pitching really well. But there were games where things didn't go his way. So it was kind of up and down. So then he ended up such a strong way the last few months. Um because uh, I had asked him the question I'd started with Charlie was is he got the ingredients now of a truly elite pitcher yeah and Charlie this was this long rant response to that but he said uh he said watching max to me is no different is not much different than watching sandy Sandy sits 98 99 Max doesn't get max heater. he can get it up there in mid 90s upper 90s but they're so similar in that Sa- Sandy is a guy that um that that they both learned to pitch and they got their careers really took off. But he said, Max, I guess some of the question is: Has he done it? Have you done it for four, five, six, seven years? Are you going to be the next Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander? Or is this going to be like, hey, you had a few good years and everybody's talking about you and everything's going really well? You disappear. Or is it going to be the kind of thing where you're talking about your legacy in the game? He said, I certainly think Max has all the tools to do whatever he wants to do over the next seven, eight, nine years. So I'm rooting for him and I'm going to be a fan of him when I'm gone. And uh, then he said, uh, I'm really proud of him because I think he's dealt with some of the doubts he's had about himself, some of the questions he's had about himself, he's dealt with. And I think that's the thing. It's not just as simple as, hey, here's a guy with good stuff, former first rounder. You know, there's been some things that he's had to deal with. He's faced it. And I think he's proven a lot of people wrong. I think that's more what I admire about Max is that he's and, he, and he's right there at that part of the journey for him now, which is cool for me to be a part of. He said he hasn't cemented his legacy, and it's like he's trying to figure it out. It's not like he's trying to figure it out now. We're kind of at that sweet spot, he said, where he's going to determine that for himself. Yeah. You know, he's, he's at control that point. now.
2: He's right. learned what he needs to do, and it's just going to it's nice when you don't have to figure it out anymore. He's at the point where he knows what he has to do to succeed. Just go repeat it, you know, and don't overthink it. And it's going to be in his control.
1: Charlie said, it's really cool to be part of that. You know, Charlie at his point in his career at the very end of it, but to see a young guy be at that point of his career where he could become. Yeah. A great one. Yeah. I I hope they, I hope, because I talking to Charlie just off the record, I'm not, I think he's going to come back for a year. As much as he loves being around his family, he hates being away from his kids, you know, and he's not going to move them to Atlanta, there in Tampa, but he can at least be with them spring training if he pitches for the Braves or another team down there. But he's doing, he's p- still pitching so well. The stuff's still so good. And, you know, if a team's going to pay him, you know, 15 million, 10 million, whatever it is next year, and he could do it for another year, I, I think he's going to have a hard time walking away from that for one more year. If he would sign for like 10, 12 million or something, I think the Braves should do it because I think he's in, invaluable with their young pitchers. I think what he's done has been huge for those guys.
2: I wonder how you could turn that down. I'm with you, but if, <laughs> it's so much money, you know, when you when and he seems to be a guy with the perspective of how you're never going to make that again. But at the same time, he also seems like a guy to me that could walk away from 40 you yeah. know just depend i don't think it's i think it just depend on how he felt and what he wanted to do
1: i think if it meant going to another team especially not a team that yeah. doesn't train down there i think he would walk away from it the family thing is that important to him but there is the convenience of being able to live at home during spring training go home on every off day you know flight make it home real quick yep which he does um so i think he would come back to the Braves but i think it's very limited tampa he'd go there you know but i don't think tampa can pay him you know enough to make it worth his while but uh, I, I just think the Braves, with what they've got coming back, with Freed, Wright, Strider, and then you add one more of the young guys, God, you put those guys with Charlie. with Charlie, And, man, what a rotation you're looking at next year.
2: Well, it, you know, honestly, it's you couldn't get a better mentor for your pitching no. staff either, and if he's producing.
1: Right, still producing. He's not just like – you know, and they had the lefty that really helped Max, but he didn't p- pitch for him at all. You know, he only made one start, and they paid him $18 yeah. million, dollars, but he yeah. helped Max that much. But Charlie's still producing, you know, yeah. at a high level.
2: Yeah. So I would I would try to bring him back. It'll I be mean, interesting. It's tough with Charlie because I, I watch him, and I think one of these years, <laughs> it's just not going to, you know, like that's going right, to be Right, right. And he, I
1: thought it was going to be this year when yeah. he started out, but he was still throwing mid-90s with that ne- great curveball. Yeah. So, you know, well, I think the
2: difference will be his heart won't be in it, you know, it right now. Yeah, there'll be a year where he starts off like this and his heart's just not in it. And that's when you don't get out of it. When when you're just emotionally or mentally over it and you start off like that and he just don't have the fight and the grind and the the ability to dig deep and find that extra one two, ten 10% right. effort that really puts you back over the top to where you can figure out your season. And uh, I, there'll be a season if he keeps pushing it. What I mean, if he's yeah. throwing like this, it might be when he's forty-three years old. But there's going to be a time where that fire dies, and he'll be in June, and it, he might just walk away. He might as long as he can, as
1: long as he can spin that ball, you know, yeah. and throw in the mid nineties, he can still be a really good pitcher. And the Braves next year with uh, with Max Strider and Kyle Wright they wouldn't need him to be more than a fourth or fifth, you know, yeah. pay, and if and maybe it's 10 million. Maybe it's not even 15. Maybe it's 10. He's made 20 the last two. You know, it's not like he needs the money. 10 might be more than enough for him. Who knows? Yeah. So, but that, he's worth that just to be a four starter and a mentor and it's still a really good, so it, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Something to think about this off season, but he's just another one of those guys, the culture, what he does in that clubhouse. God, he's huge, man. I mean, Max put is a dollar figure on it. Right. I mean, Max is established now. He's the ace of the team, but, uh, what Charlie brings is, is really, it's invaluable. So, Hey, last thing, uh, last thing is with, uh, with Diaz doing, Edwin Diaz doing his thing now and it's just gone viral and it's like the talk of baseball with the trumpets, the, the song, which is just incredible, man. What, what, as a, as a relief pitcher, those were kind of taken off when you were there. There were some big ones like uh, Hell's Bells and Inner Sandman and all that. Which one is the coolest one of you? Have you have you seen enough of his that it, DS, To me, dude, it's the coolest one they've ever had to me. I love this thing that they're doing. It's just awesome.
2: <laughs> it's the best thing going. <laughs> it is awesome. I mean, it's yeah. awesome. It's incredible. And And it's just the way he jogs out to it, the whole thing.
1: And the video of him up there doing it too while he's doing this, you know.
2: But if you think about that, that that video has made its way to non-baseball fans. Yeah. You know, there's people that are basketball fans or tennis fans, and they're like, this is the coolest thing I've seen. And And they don't even know what's about to happen or how dominant he is or how good he is. They just see the crowd going crazy. And this – where's DS from? Is he from Puerto Rico? I think he's Puerto Rican. Yeah. So they, they see this Puerto Rican dude just jogging out to this awesome song with the trumpet. and It's just – it's a sick setup. You can't beat it.
1: And then they bring the guy. He's Australian. I, yeah. I would have never known he was Australian. He comes and does it live the other day. And yeah. DS didn't get in the game the first day. So the guy stayed and came back out the second. And he did it just pitch perfect live. It was just tremendous. The guys down there in a black mesh yeah, jersey did. with a black hat on. It was uh I know Brace fans probably get tired of it because he's with a with a rival, but this is tremendous. You know. Well, I'll tell you
2: what else is it has to be it can't be a pretty good closer.
1: Oh, it yeah. has and to it, be and he's and he's the best closer in baseball this year by yeah, far. That
2: that's the only way this is as big as it is. Because yeah. It can't be, I mean, imagine Will Smith last year running out to this thing, you know, and it's like, you got to come in. And it's got to be 100%. You're getting it done. It has to be shocking when when everything falls apart and you don't right. get it done.
1: Because the but, crowd gets so jacked. They're all dancing yeah. to it. They're all doing the motions of trumpet. Yeah. So then if you don't come out, if you like walk the first guy or give up a hit, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, that sucked. But if you come yeah. out, and you're just dominant. You're striking yeah. out everybody. I mean, he's striking out people at a higher rate than Strider is, for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah. but that's why,
2: they, that's why it's so magical, too, is because the crowd's celebrating like, this game's right. over. We just won. This dude does not let us go down. They're not nervous at all. Right. They're just celebrating the win They early. hear
1: that trumpets, and it's like, we won. That's yep. where they feel, you know? Yeah,
2: and that's why it's the best thing going in baseball because he, one of the guys that's having the best seasons, one of the best closers in the game, matched up with a perfect song in a city that's going to jump on the ride.
1: And the Braves are doing some superb trolling too, man. Yeah. Contreras, that's pretty ballsy to have that as your walk-up music. knowing that did he Dia- that? Like midseason. It was like it, it, it was, it was, long, it had already gone viral what Diaz was doing it. Yeah. So what midseason.
2: I'm using that too. I like that song.
1: And one time he hit a home run against the Mets. They played it as he's circling the bases. But the best was the other day. They're showing the Mets game during the ring delay Sunday. We had a, we an almost two hour ring delay. They're showing the Nationals beat the Mets. The last five innings they showed on the video board at Braves, the truest part. After it's over, they're playing that song at Truist Park. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great trolling, but it but it the, but the Mets though they they've just did struck gold with this thing yeah. to me because everybody everybody puts Mariana Rivera in her Sandman at number one, which I put it still at number two because it's still terrific. But that's because Mariana was so incredible, you know. Yeah, and, and it was cool. He didn't even the pick old- the song, I don't think. Right, so. That to me is a you know, is a border, it's a number two probably. But to me, the one that I put that that, that was right up there with it, Brian Wilson, in that brief moment in time when oh, he was yeah. so good with San Francisco, it was only about two years, probably, right? Yeah. But when they played Jump Around out there, House mm-hmm. of Pain, Jump Around, it was another one of those where the energy in the ballpark was completely off shifted. The yeah. Charts. And yeah. that place was packed every game back then. Giants were in the middle of their dynasty or and the ballpark atmosphere, they do a great job in San Francisco. It was really loud. They had this great video to go perfectly with it, syncopated with yep. it, and uh, in sync with it. And they showed these close ups to Brian Wilson's face at certain parts of the song, and a whole crowd singing it and everything. It was awesome. It's kind of yeah. like my, at Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin plays it in football for the fourth quarter now. That song is terrific. And so that was the other one that really stood out to me. I mean, to me, that the the song's got to be great for it to have that energy, and those yep. two songs do, but Jump Around still has that feel to it. It's got to match the
2: pitcher too, you know? It's like right. Diaz jogs to the beat.
1: Oh, yeah, it does his know? shoulders. That thing he does with his yep. shoulders is yep. really cool. It's really that's, cool.
2: I, I think every team needs to – well, first of all, you've got to get a closer that's that lights out, or you can't right. even try it. But that type of stuff, I mean – it's like I said. It's it's reached people outside of baseball are watching this. Like yeah. holy shit, what's going on? And then they're going to turn on the game. Like I want to watch this guy pitch. What's all the fuss about? Right. And maybe they appreciate it. Maybe they don't. But they're going to see him punch out too.
1: And with social and, media today, you can see all those videos. You couldn't use to see that stuff. Yeah. You'd see it. You couldn't just call it up. You know. Yeah. Uh, the other one I put up there, really close. Kinley at his peak in L. A.
2: California love.
1: California love. And you know how loud that Dodger yes. sound system has been for the last like eight years or whatever.
2: Just pile of speakers.
1: They're playing it at concert level. And they've mm-hmm. they've got a new they've got a new system, I'm sure, with the entertainment industry out there, it's state of the art. So it can play even louder. But back then they played it so loud the speakers were cracking. It was like at a, it was like crack, The speakers couldn't even handle it. Yeah. But Kidly with his, like six foot five, two hundred and sixty pounds running in to California Love, another yeah. terrific song.
0: Yeah. You
1: know Tupac and Dre. It's a all time great song. So that place, Dodger Stadium, everybody singing California Love, that was really cool. Yeah. That was really cool. There's not been many of them that are that cool. To me, I put well, that one right up so there. Well, there's so many
2: pitchers. Like, the thing Kenley did there was he embraced where he was playing.
1: Yeah. There's so many it.
2: pitchers that come in and they want to do their own thing. Yeah. It's like it just, you know, you're coming out to George Strait in Seattle. Right. Or something like that. Right. right? And it's, it just doesn't match.
1: And I thought it was great when Alex suggested to Kenley to do Welcome to Atlanta when he came here. And he's done it. And it's great. Kenley's yep. not the same pitch he was in L.A., but he's pretty damn good still when he's on a roll. And him, Welcome to Atlanta sounds. It's the best they've ever had here in Atlanta. Yeah. Because it's loud and it's a great song, another great song. And they do the whole thing and the whole, the people are doing the, 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 uh, with their, uh, phones. They're doing the, you know, the chop with their phones, you know, syncope. It's really cool. So that's also really, really far up there. He's just not the dominant pitcher that he was then, but he's still pretty damn good. And then the other one I really loved, Was Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells. It's a little different because Trevor wasn't the dominant strikeout pitcher. He was a changeup guy and all that. But the Hell's Bells, where they turn off the, because not many people were doing that stuff back then, they turn off the the lights and the scoreboard would go out at the new ballpark there and they'd play Mm -hmm. Hell's Bells. So that was pretty damn cool. Now, if he'd have been as dominant as a Diaz and they did that, that would be even better. But it was pretty cool.
2: The thing stadiums got to understand too is like, you know, I mean, maybe it's louder in the stands, but down the field, the how loud they play that music at Dodger Stadium. Oh. I mean, it hits you deep. It, yeah. it wakes you up. So, yeah. a lot of stadiums they'll have this closer come in and they put the volume at like oh, 35 out of 100. I'm like, yeah. "What are you doing? You got to yeah. crank it. Gotta you got to get You have to if if you're not pissing a few people off with how loud it is, it's yeah. not loud enough for yeah. the other 98% in the park.
1: And the other reason that San Diego just wasn't as formidable as those other ones is because the crowd was so laid back compared to those yeah. other places. Yeah. Rarely did we play in front of packed houses when the when the Braves would go out there. Rarely did they play in front of packed houses. They do now. They're a lot better yeah. crowds. I don't know how they
2: got that because people ask me about that park all the time. I'm like I don't know because I've never seen it like that. Right.
1: They're finally. It's only been the last two years. Last yeah. year, those games against the Dodgers early in the season, when they had Tatis playing and Machado mm-hmm. playing. And they were giving the Dodgers hell. That's when yeah. they really built the atmosphere that they've had now. So they've been good. It's the only times I've ever been out there where they've had great atmosphere. Except back in the day at the old stadium, when they went to the LCS that year, they were they had you know the old football stadium. And that was when yeah. they had 50,000 people packed in there. But at the new ballpark, not until the last two years, if they had a good atmosphere. Loud, uh, yeah. crazy energy. There's I a never was saw that. that the new Park crowd. I've
2: never seen. You know, I mean we went there every year when I was with Atlanta. Yeah. And I went there with Oakland too. And I never once felt like Yeah. I was just whatever. You know, people ask me what the stadium's right. like, I'm like, it's cool, but it feels like half the people were just walking by right. and they could see through the Enjoy the, fans the like, weather. let's go check out a ball game. You know, yeah, what I mean sit it, back. Didn't, it didn't feel like anybody made plans to be there. They were just kind of right. straggling That's through
1: that's finally changed now. We'll see if they can continue it. Cause they're going to have to, you know, keep being good, but they've spent mm-hmm. the money to do it. But yeah, it's finally, I didn't think it was capable of it there with that atmosphere, that city. Oh, after
2: the Soto trade.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. So anyway, those are the ones that I've liked the most. And, uh, but the, the, just the Diaz thing, man. You know, it really took off where the Braves were there. I didn't re- realize this until he was being interviewed on MLB Network today. And he said, yeah, we when they b- took four out of five from the Braves, that's when it really went viral. They had, they had been doing it, but it, they had a packed house. They won four out of five. So he pitched in at least three of those games.
2: I hadn't even heard it, and I I saw a video on Twitter of it. That's when I – that's when I discovered it. I hadn't heard a thing about it. I hadn't really seen him come into the game. And then I saw a video on Twitter of it. I downloaded that song, and I was just listening to it to just put it on my iPod. I mean, it's threw the shit on. My four-year-old comes in the room, yeah. loses his mind. It's his new favorite yeah. song. He wants yeah. me to put it on every single day for him. You know, there's just something catchy about it.
1: I had not seen it either because this was early in the season when the Braves were out there. So the first time they played it, I'm like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" You know, yep. and the whole video with him up there doing it, I'm just like, the whole thing was like, I tried to catch it on my my phone, but it was uh, it's too late. But yeah, it, I, I'm not surprised at all that it's taken off just because it's so cool. But uh, the Braves want to hear that as infrequently as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, maybe when, they don't go when there again. They don't go there again this year. Or so, and the, the only three games left against them are here, and and uh, the Braves have had some incredible crowds, and they will sell out all three of those. They they've got like thirty six sellouts this year, dude. They're fourth in attendance in the majors, and they're only like fifty or so people a game behind the Yankees. They're going to catch the Yankees probably. Can you that's tell me amazing. that's
2: not more profitable than a TV deal and revenue sharing
1: money? Well, when you combine the battery, they're getting uh, pretty close yeah, yeah. now because they're raking in the dough at the battery. So between the two of them, it offsets a lot of that. And the and the TV deal has been renegotiated a couple of times. It's no longer terrible. It's kind of middle of the road now. So between that and what they're raking in at the battery the last two be years,
2: the
1: they're raking it in at the battery. Just Because they get a percentage of everything there, from yeah. rent to the bars to the restaurants, everything.
2: So I'm trying. To, I guess I'm I'm trying to put together because it seemed like teams really shied away from caring about attendance for a bit, right? Once all that TV money started flowing through the game, right. that's where teams kind of went crazy. That's spending. where the real
1: money was, yeah. But, but they the Braves are
2: selling out now, and they're using those sellouts as a reason of this is why we're spending. So right. I'm kind of trying to figure out what the shift is.
1: Football, it's it's TV money. It's because obviously they don't play enough games for the attendance right. to really matter that much. But baseball, when you're playing 81 games and you're selling out. When you're getting 40,000, 38,000 people yeah. there, the parking, the concessions, people spend so much money when they're there. And then and then now with the battery next door, used to, at the old place, they'd park their car, go in, leave, walk, get in their car and go. This place, they come hours before the game. They have dinner. They Start have drinks. They, and then they hang out for a while. Let traffic die. They go over and drink more, whatever they do. you know, It's just different now. That was really smart. I hated when they moved out to the Burbs because I like yeah. downtown ballparks. But it was a smart Business move.
2: See, I need to go, but I need to come back out to it's Atlanta a great now atmosphere. and see it. because yeah, It really is a they good were, atmosphere. They were building it in 16 and 17 when I was there, but we sucked.
1: Man, you, you know? should see it now, man. Especially I bet it's badass. It is. During the postseason last year, they had literally had to shut it down. There were too many people. They could not let any more people <laughs> in. It's packed. It's just packed. They have like a plaza over there. The Cardinals have... Mimicked them. The Cardinals did the same thing next to their place. And they have a right. plaza where they right. have a big video screen, and people that don't go in a game can sit up there and watch on the video board,
2: hear the crowd noise, and make yeah. some noise themselves. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. it's right
1: next door. Yeah, it's like they're inside. Yeah. So, and all the bars have outdoor seating and everything, rooftop and all that. It's a good atmosphere. So I got to check anyway. it out. All right. Well, we'll do this again at the uh, at the end of the week. And we'll see if the Braves can uh, catch the Mets. That got them really close. All right. Been a hell of a year so far. 755 is real. We are out.